0: Hi everyone, today we'll talk about WISA, a mental health company helping users to self manage stressors by blending AI-guided listening with professional expert support. Sometimes you need to talk things through, and all you need is someone who will listen and ask the right questions to help you figure things out. These are the words from Jo Agarval, the CEO and founder of WISA, and she'll be joined today by Zirina jess the company's chief clinical officer. Jo Agarval is a global leader in conversational AI for behavioral health. She was recognized as one of the top 25 women leaders in consumer health tech of 2021 by the Healthcare Technology Report. Previously, Agarval was the founding director for technology and innovation for a UN-backed foundation and also has been the managing director for Parson learning solutions in the UK. Zirina Just Half is a licensed clinical practitioner with over 15 years of experience in clinical innovation, operations strategy, and product development with a specific focus on digital behavioral health. Wisea covers 10 million lives and has helped over 3 million people in 60 countries with more than 100 million conversations. Wisea is a really unique company and we had a really deep conversation. I hope you'll enjoy it. Welcome to DigiSection. It's a great pleasure to have you on our podcast today.
1: Thank you. It's
0: great to be here. Joe and Zirina, where does this podcast find you now?
1: In terms of location? Yes. Yeah, I'm actually in Fort Lauderdale in the United States.
0: Okay.
2: And I'm normally based in Boston, but right now I'm traveling to Bangalore. So I'm calling from the other side of the world.
0: Okay, fantastic. Let us start with the very beginning of the story of your company. Let's start with the early inspirations and what really made you focus on the mental health space. Let's start with you, Joe.
2: You know, we weren't trying to do mental health to begin with. Uh, we were trying to, uh, Ramakant, my co-founder and I had our first product was a remote care for uh, like caregiver support. So we were trying to see how people were remotely and we launched the product and uh, did not find product market fit. I went into depression. As a process of getting out of depression, I learned cognitive behavioral therapy. I also realized for the first time that, you know, what we medicalize is mainly something that is a skilling issue, that these are skills that anybody can learn and that the concept of diagnosis of a depression or anxiety is often done just because there are constraints of resources. So you want somebody to have a certain level of distress before you make therapy available to them because it costs a lot. And the idea of Wiser came up to say that if, you know, the first chatbot ever was a parody of a Rogerian therapist called Eliza. But the idea was that could we create something that was like Eliza, but only Wiser, and could actually deliver a CBT? And that's where we pivoted to and then built Wiser.
0: Okay. And how about you, Zirina? Were you having experiences before?
1: Yes, absolutely. So I worked for the managed care industry, United States Health Plan Payers, and I kept running into the same issue, and that was around scalability and accessibility. You know, as you know, in the United States, there is a shortage of behavioral health providers, and we're only expecting it to get worse. And so what I wanted to do was look at the intersection of telemedicine and digital health to see if they could play a role in helping scale the limited resources that we have. And that's where something like AI really became very intriguing. Weiss's AI, particularly, became very intriguing because it was a way to treat individuals at 24-7 in the here and now and, you know, vector folks and triage folks to the right levels of care.
0: Okay. And so, Joe, could we kind of try to do a deep dive into not only Weiss, but also the mental health market first? Could you talk to us about, you know, landscape and, and trends
2: Absolutely. You know, broadly, if you look at the mental health market, you will have, we call it from meditation to medication. Uh, So you start with, you know, wellness market, the head spaces and the calms of the world where there is a lot of uh, corporate wellness as well as uh, direct to consumer support. From data that we have from wiser consumers, we know that about 30% of the people today in a typical corporate or a typical working age population can get helped by that. And then about 10% of people really need to have a diagnosis, need medication, need either a therapist or a psychiatrist. And in the middle, you have what we call the missing middle of mental health, where people tend to be languishing. They need to be heard. They need to learn how to manage their own negative thoughts, their own behaviors, which have become dysfunctional for their mental health. You're sort of flipping from a Zoom call to Netflix and back to a Zoom call. And by the end of it, they have this sense of anxiety constantly or feeling low or or burnt out and a lack of energy, and there's nothing for them. And that's what we call the missing middle of mental health. And there we see that there's very little support. So either people are all running after where somebody's already diagnosed and given therapy, and there you will have your prescription digital therapeutics, non prescription digital therapeutics, the therapists, etc., all. Coming after this, you know, little funnel where somebody's actually got a diagnosis and has got therapy, and then there's a lot of people who are being given mindfulness. And to really help them, you need to be able to let them help themselves and triage them to the level of care that they need. And that's where we've occupied that space uh, with uh, AI guided cognitive behavioral therapy. So it's anonymous; you can start talking to it, but you can also get triaged up to therapy or medication. You can also get triaged to wellness. Mm
0: And so, you know, in order to understand the flow of your product, let's start with your customer and your ideal customer persona. So tell me like, who's your customer? How do they get your product? How do they get even started?
2: We have a lot of different personas. I have to tell you that in the first year of Wiza's launch, there was one user who exemplified our ideal customer or ideal impact and also caused us to become who we were, where there was this 13 year old girl who said that I have depression. I tried to commit suicide, but you're helping me hold on to myself. And when we started Wiza, Ramakant and I had thought we want to create something that is permissionless support in the hands of someone who has nothing else. And, uh, who either due to stigma or any other kind of lack of access of support. The first idea was to just create that access anywhere in the world. I used to say anywhere from Lesotho to Lithuania. <laughs> you know just someone should be able to help themselves. And that, today, we have 4 million users who are just finding Wiza on the App Store, using it for free. 177, as of yesterday, people have written to us to say that it saved their life. This is not the kind of user that we commercialized. So. If I put my other more business hat on, you know, this is the user that Visa has been created for and exists because of. But the ideal user that we commercialize typically. So, a great example for us with one of our large healthcare clients is a nurse who has had access to EAP, has had access to a lot of different wellness resources, mindfulness. But once they rolled out Visa, she said, This is the first time you've given me something I can actually use. Because I always think that, you know, my problems are not big enough for me to try to see a therapist. But all this mindfulness and yoga you threw at me isn't working. (laughs) I can't do it. But it's at 2 a.m. when panic strikes. Now I can talk to something and it actually then, you know, both helped me in the moment, but also made me realize that I do need to speak to a therapist and got that access. So that kind of support where people feel empowered to start taking charge of their own mental health. That's our main use case.
0: Okay. And Zirana, would you like to add anything to that?
1: No, I think Joe did a great job of explaining it. You know, I just think about the need for help out there today. And I think about the fact that Weiss is a company that provides comfort, creates hope and offers a path forward to those that are in emotional distress, both in acute moments of pain and for those in chronic distress. You know, I think it really meets the needs for a lot of folks.
0: Once talking about mental health, there's the aspect of stigma, Do you have any ideas about, you know, how to fight with stigma and things that are, you know, connected to be seen as, you know, very delicate matters when it comes to mental health?
2: That's exactly why VISA was created, actually. So a lot of resources I saw going towards fighting stigma when people are three times more likely to talk to AI than they are to a therapist. And there was an Oracle study that showed that 82% of employees would be very happy to talk about their mental health to AI anonymously, but they won't reach out to EAP. You typically have take up of, you know, 3% or less. And that's the kind of stigma that we're talking about. Just the idea that, you know, you can open Siri and start telling Siri how you feel. It feels very weird a little, but it doesn't feel stigmatizing. You don't feel like you've been seen as being weak. And that's really how WISA has grown, because it just created a path where you didn't have to change your mindset around the stigma or change the culture of the country. But you just had to bypass and say, hey, this is a safe space. It's completely anonymous. So nobody knows who I am. And it's like an interactive diary. It's a place where I'm writing and it's writing back to me, but there's no other human being who's ever going to see what I've written.
0: Okay. And so, you know, let's try to get more technical now. So could you walk me through the technical components of Wysa? What does, you know, the product kind of have inside?
2: Absolutely. I can probably take that. To begin with, WISA uses, of course, AI, but it doesn't use natural language generation. It uses natural language understanding. So most AI bots that you'll see would be, you'd think of them as, you know, becoming sentient or coming up with what to say. WISA does not come up with what to say. We have clinicians who write sort of if-then logics that say, you know, here's a therapeutic technique. I'm going to ask how a person is. And if that person has a certain level of distress, if that person is talking about relationship relationship. Issues, if that person is blah, blah, blah. You know, you've got over a hundred different domains around which we have AI detection, classification, and over, WISA is over five years old now. So we've had 700 iterations of co-designing WISA with people who use it. People who, for instance, we typically, a clinician would say that you should restructure a negative thought with a positive one by challenging it. And the motivation to do so is that you'll feel better if you do that. Now, when somebody had a partner cheating, On them. The moment you tell them this will make you feel better, they said, I don't want to feel better and I don't want to challenge this thought. That person cheated on me. 10,000 people came back and said the same thing. And that triggered our analytics to go back to the clinicians and said, Hey, what do you think works for everybody doesn't work for this subsegment? We need to change it. And finally, we changed it to a clinical pathway that said, Do you want to regain control in the situation? You know, you can't control what they do, but you can control how you live. And then that allowed them to still restructure the negative thought, but in a very different way of controlling the controllables. Now, that's how WISA has been built. So a lot of cycles, not AI automatically detecting what to do, but AI flagging that these group of people with this kind of domains are liking it or not liking it, are being helped or not helped. And then clinicians looking at that data, running new experiments, and some of those experiments working. And that has got us to where we are, where over 90% of the people after the first session alone say that they've been helped. And that's a lot to say for even you know in-person therapy if 90% of the people walk away say, I felt better after the first session.
0: And so, you know, trying to understand what is your competitive advantage, what is the secret sauce of your system? As you know, currently, we probably have more like, I mean, around 200,000 mental health apps across different platforms. And so what will be this, you know, number one feature making you stand out?
1: I would definitely have to say the technology and the way it's been built. I mean, Joe alluded to a little bit of it. We're not looking at, with our technology, the movie Spike is Her, where the AI just goes out of control. The proprietary needs Nature of our technology is such that everything that's being output by the machine is actually clinician approved and clinician written. So it follows the model of CBT very, very closely and is able to give the appropriate amount of clinical dosing that you would expect to have in a standard hour or treatment session rather of cognitive behavioral therapy. So I definitely would say the technology, Joe, you might have something
2: else in mind, but <laughs> that's the first
1: thing that pops up in the head, my head for me. So from a
2: user perspective, I guess, you know, they don't care whether you're using technology or not, they need to be helped. And I'd say that because we meet people where they are, if you're comparing Wiser with any other digital therapeutic, any other internet-based CBT, all of them basically talk at you while Wiser listens to you. And that flip changes the entire experience because when somebody is listening to you and you're depressed and meeting you where you're at, as my example, where if you're talking about somebody who cheated on you and it's meeting you there and giving you the kind of motivation that would work in that particular... Case that's very different from you know hearing a video about what is cognitive behavioral therapy, what is a thought cycle, and now here's an exercise for you to complete. People say that they feel supported, they feel cared about, they feel heard, they feel validated, and they do behavior changes really fast. They adhere. The big problems with this space are activation, engagement, and adherence, and outcomes, right? And most people have outcomes in a clinical setting, but not real world. All of our clinical results. The first few clinical results are all real world. So we've been able to show real world outcomes, adherence of even older adults of 80% of them completing an eight week dosage and activation where people actually come in here and grow organically because they feel heard, where you don't have to push them to complete a task. It's checking in and getting them to talk about what they're feeling.
1: There's nothing like it on the market right now. And the reason for that is because of how the technology works in terms of its real-time interaction. If you look at most cognitive behavioral therapy programs that are online today, it's really more asynchronous versus a synchronous delivery. And so with the synchronous delivery, you're seeing things like cognitive restructuring and behavioral activation happen in real time. That makes it that much more powerful because with CBT, it's a skills-based approach and you need to be practicing it over and over and over again. And the app makes sure that you're actually Actually, doing those things as you're you know, speaking to it. And so I think that's what makes it so unique in today's
2: marketplace.
0: And so, you know, still staying on the technical front, what is the ROI and metrics you and your customers care about?
2: So from a, a return on investment for our customers, typically most of our customers would find an increase of utilization of their current EAP and other resources, but also people with a high, say, PHQ9 or GAD7 score coming in and over eight to nine sessions with VISA, which are just 10 minute check ins, happens over a short period of time. They would actually see a significant drop, as significant as if they had a therapist. So there is a potential substitution effect. Very often, what we like to do is offer a blended approach where we find that only 20% of the people will do two or more therapy sessions and the rest of them will be satisfied with WISA and then maybe one or two therapy sessions to guide them. And that really brings down the cost of giving people real-time support. Because at the end of the day, you know, there's something that's checking with you morning and evening and saying, how did you sleep last night? How are you feeling today? And did you do the activation that we discussed? And so on, and so forth. And with a lot of free text, so you can literally talk to it or chat with it Versus a therapist, which you will see maybe once a month or once in two weeks, in most cases, So, because it's just so hard to find a therapist right now, you get a much better outcome with much lower resources. And really it's that. So people have ROI case on both the cost being reduced and the outcomes being improved and access being increased.
0: Would you like to add anything, Serena?
1: No, I think she said it really well. I mean, what the customers are challenged with, clients today are challenged with, is really getting people activated in the application and getting them engaged and then adhering to it. Weiss has got astronomical numbers, especially when compared to other players in the market. And I really believe that has a lot to do with the engaging nature of the technology.
0: Could you tell us about any customer use case, about, you know, any specific use case that you would say was significant either, you know, for you to understand the problem of your customer or basically was, you know, an infliction point in terms of the company?
2: Well, there's been one recent inflection point for us. It's not a customer use case, but it's a use case. There was a research trial that uh, Washington University at St. Louis had started with us. This was about a year ago when they said, we've got now finally IRB approval. It's an independently funded trial. So we have no control over this. And they're going to use for people who are 55 and over with uh, nine years or more of chronic pain and do a three-arm trial. One arm gets in-person therapy. One arm gets their current control group, which is some kind of material, and one arm gets Wiser, And we got really nervous because they were going to measure engagement, physical function, pain interference, and anxiety and depression. We were like, okay, you know, these are a really old group who may or may not use Wiser, But it was an independent trial. So what we did was we said, we're going to give you a blended approach of a human coach and Wiser. So at least we'll find out if people that age prefer human coaches. And this is, I think, where you were headed with your question where the market teaches you something. And in this particular trial, we found that only 20% of the people used the coach more than twice and 50% didn't use the coach at all. And these were older adults and we got better or at par outcomes uh, with the human therapist, with people who just used Wiser in a musculoskeletal setting, which is like really hard to move the needle. So the people at uh, WashU where they were doing the trial, they were really surprised. Uh, but also for us, it was a pivotal moment for the company because this meant that we could go after any kind of chronic condition. We were not only showing better than therapists uh, or at par with therapist results in anxiety, we were also showing that in pain interference and physical function. So we were able to move the needle on a very difficult, hard to engage audience, show great engagement, show great adherence, and be able to show an improvement in physical function. It sort of changes the trajectory of the organization as a whole to say that. You know, then this blended approach where people activate because they think there's a person as well, but then don't use the person too much, allows you to create a really at scale solution, which doesn't cost as much, but delivers better outcomes than the current standard of
1: care. Yeah, no, I was just going to add, you know, the thing that sort of set me back on my heels about this particular study was the fact that we were looking at individuals of an age group that we wouldn't normally say, yeah, we expect them to really engage with this technology. And then in addition to that, we were looking at a population that had nine plus years of chronic pain, so severe chronic pain. So these folks are really struggling. And the fact that they could be serviced by an app like Wysa with A.I., versus a human intervention, and receive the t- same type of clinical efficacy and outcomes was just shocking for me. And I think, you know, really said something to us about the power of digital mental health.
0: And how does it connect with this longer vision for Wise? as a company? Talk to us about this 10, 15 years vision and, you know, what's about to come.
2: There are different dimensions of the 10, 15 years of vision of WISA. The first which connects to this chronic condition support is very much Wiser as uh, to address uh, secondary behavioral health issues. So being able to have outcomes on secondary behavioral health issues, you know, with cancer, with chronic pain, with other issues, as well as have physical health outcomes on those primary physical health outcomes is a strategy that we have. So going through a non-prescription digital therapeutic route and creating that kind of support. So that is one sort of big strategy for us. The vision for WISE is to reach 50 million people by 2025. So only a portion of those. Uh, That's one of the reasons why it's secondary behavioral health issues and we're not going to, you know, prescription digital therapeutics and schizophrenia or something like that because we want to reach as many people as possible. That's always been the core idea that anybody anywhere should get support irrespective of diagnosis. The second big vision is we've just gone into beat in Spanish. So we'll be going multilingual and then expanding into different platforms like possibly WhatsApp. So secure platforms like Alexa Health or WhatsApp so that people can actually access it in their language in a way that improves behavior change. So a lot of it around WISA, a lot of the innovation is around social and behavior change communication. How do you actually get people to change their behaviors in a way that is seamless to their daily life? And so we continue to evolve that both from a language access point perspective, as well as the specific use cases where we show outcomes. I'd like to just talk about this concept of therapeutic alliance. A therapeutic alliance is actually measured by something called the working alliance inventory, where you can measure the amount of bond that a person forms when they start therapy. And the stronger the bond, the more effective the therapy is that's been proven. Now, typically, it's one of the few scores that exist across in-person therapy, across the internet-based CBT that most digital therapeutics and mental health rely on, and AI-based CBT, which WISA and some of our competitors rely on. And the difference that you see is so stark. Most in person therapists would say that by week three, you're likely to form a therapeutic alliance. It takes time. And most ICBT would say that by week seven or eight, and that gives them a chance to have everybody who's going to drop off for seven weeks to drop off. And so they at least get some score. So ICBT tends to be half as strong and a bond, even after seven weeks, as an in person therapist after three or four weeks. And WISA and other AICBT have as strong a bond as in-person therapy in the first week alone. So it forms that stronger bond that quickly, and it speaks to how easy people find to open up to AI and how helpful they find it in the first few sessions. And that really, I feel, is going to be the reason why, combined with the pressure on costs and the need to scale, the market is just going to begin to realize that you know all digital therapeutics are not the same, that ICBT had problems, but AICBT is going to actually solve those problems.
0: Okay. And so do you think, Joe, that there's going to be a moment in the tech development and, you know, there's going to be a time in the future where we actually going to have an application, you know, helping and treating people? Like say in then 20 years from now do you think that we could hand it over to ai
2: i think it'll happen much sooner than that i don't think it will ever do all of the treatment mm-hmm. but i think the first digital companion to any kind of mental health can and should even today and is already happening in many places including we're working with the nhs in the uk and making that first e triage first uh, front door to be AI, because so many people who are distressed are being turned away from therapy. And we can say that it should be a human, but we're turning away two-thirds of the people who need help. So already we'll start delivering outcomes for them. And it's only a matter of time that everybody else, in addition to a human support, is relying on AI to guide them through each day. And as a clinician, I see
1: patients, you know, in the evening sometimes, and I have to say that WISA has been an incredible addition to my arsenal of tools. I have folks use the application as a way to continue their exercises and skill building, and then we're able to debrief about it in session. What I'm surprised by is the amount of clinical dosing they can receive within the application itself, which cuts back on a lot of the work time that I have and makes my job a lot more easier.
0: (laughs) And so, you know, switching gears now to some of our more personal questions, we have a community of eight to 10,000 listeners. And, you know, they're mostly C to Series A stage founders. I'd love to ask you both if you have any advice for other digital health founders, like anything they should, you know, prioritize and focus on, especially while building mental health solutions and companies.
2: I think, one, it's a great time to be a startup in this space, but one, prioritize your own mental health. So it can be very, very hard to be a founder, especially in this space, because everybody assumes you're in mental health, so you're taking care of your mental health. But I've seen a lot of burnout for founders in this space. There's lots of things that are not, you know, while the space is exploding, the space is not very clear on paths to market. It can get very cluttered, but it doesn't have this clear ROI payment differentiation, you know, if you do this, you're going to make a lot of money kind of thing that some of the other sectors have had. So be prepared for the long haul. And what we did was for the first five years, we kept our burn really low. And we started tried to be a cockroach startup, not unicorn startup. So just stay alive until we find product market fit and then get the outcomes. What we've done, for instance, a lot of digital mental health startups we've seen, especially in the prescription digital therapeutic space, the founders end up with uh, even by series B, the founders have low single digits of equity in their company. So they raise so much money that it then becomes a sink or swim. And it's really about who has more money. So you can decide if you want to play that game. I think as founders advisor, we decided we didn't want to do that. And we kept our burn low. We focused on revenue rather than fundraising. We let the users determine the outcomes. We let most of our research be independent research funded by independent grants. So it took us longer to get that kind of outcome base, but it was real. It was more valid and we still had enough of our company to take the long haul. From that's my sort of founder to founder advice, <laughs> really.
0: And is there anything our founders should read, listen, or watch in terms of your recent inspirations? There's
2: a book by David White called Consolations, and within that there's in particular, I think, a very founder-friendly passage that you wouldn't... It's a book of uh, small... He almost writes poetry. He writes prose-like poetry, so it feels like a book of poems. But he reflects on different emotions, like forgiveness or friendship, and there's one called Besieged. And most founders feel besieged. They feel like there's somebody coming at them all the time. I'm sure you can relate to this. You feel like you're this human battery that anybody can come and try to recharge from. So recently, when I read that besieged and how he talks about the fact that even if you sell your company, if you make a million dollars or a billion dollars, you're still going to feel besieged. So you need to find that aloneness within that chaos of uh, people wanting something from you. I think that was very inspiring to me.
0: That's a really great piece of advice. And Yeah, really inspiring, that's right. Joe Zirida, thank you for joining today and spending time with us.
1: Yeah, no, thank you for having us. It's important to talk about mental health and so we're appreciative that you gave us this time. Thank you. All right, thanks. Thank you so much.
0: producers Michelle, Carol is our editor. If you like what you heard, please follow, download and subscribe. Thank you for listening to DigiSection from the Health Podcast Network.